0: Hi, everybody. Today, I had a guest on my friend Zane, who is basically a fractional HR leader for companies who are willing to admit that they're the problem. (laughs) This is a path that I think a lot of you should explore at some point in your career, because I think it could be very lucrative when you hold clients on retainer to basically be their HR leader for a couple hours a week. Zane and I talk about how she went down that path and why sometimes it's kind of fun because the leadership team is ready to admit that there's an engagement problem and they're a lot more likely to listen to you and they're paying you as a contractor essentially. So depending on where you're at with your career or if you're having a hard time finding a full-time job right now, you might go the fractional route and give your time a few hours a week to companies that are willing to listen to you. And if you're not sure if this is the path for you, you might need a little bit more experience because I think you you just get to a point where you know enough about this big umbrella of HR, you know, career mapping, job descriptions, How? what's your time to hire? When did you send your last survey? So if you're like, "Ooh, I don't know if I'm ready to do that, that's okay. You might just need a few more years of getting your HR sea legs in confidence because it's a really wide skill set to be an HR. And if you're doing fractional work, they're going to ask you a lot of different questions. So you kind of need to know your stuff, you know, across the whole scope of what this this role can be. So we talk about that a little bit, what that's like. And we talk about some books to help with confidence when influencing executives and trying to get your point across and talking about things in terms which they care about. So they're more likely to hear you. And then we talk about a LinkedIn post she had that I loved. And it was the reason I had her come on the show, which is how do you make sure culture is not an afterthought, especially when you have a small HR team? A lot of companies make the mistake of of hiring really quickly or growing really fast and then there's either no HR person or there's only one or two of you and you grew so fast your culture when it's an afterthought it's really hard to fix and if you don't define your culture with your values, your mission, your vision, you know, management training, what is your all hands like, if you don't get that stuff figured out early your employees will figure it out for you. And it's going to be sloppy. And it's going to cause disengagement because I guarantee you it causes chaos. It's just not culture doesn't happen by accident. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Zane and you can connect with her in the LinkedIn show notes. And thanks Zane for coming on. Here we go. Hi, Zane. How are you? Thanks for coming on. Hi, Christy.
1: I'm good. Thank you. It is my pleasure. I'm happy to be here.
0: So right now you are the fractional VP of people at Tweak. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, that's uh,
1: one of the clients that I'm working with. I would say right now what I'm doing is I left the full-time people world and I started my own little uh, consulting and coaching business. And I have some clients that I'm working with doing a mix of coaching,
0: consulting, and fractional people. Your consulting business is called um, Systems of Harmony, which I love because that's really the root of you know disengagement is like things are messed up. Literal systems, maybe tech systems being how teams operate, systems being like, what is your culture like and how is all of this integrating in a way that your people want to stay and work at your company and do a good job? So I really like the name of your business that you chose. So a fractional VP of people, that means you pop in and out of certain businesses and you help them some of the time, but you don't work there full-time.
1: Basically, yes. Um, It's sort of a part-time CPO uh, kind of uh, role. You can think of go in, fix whatever is broken, build solid foundation, train the team so that I can then start to wind down and they're still running. Uh, just as well. So sometimes that might be a month, three months, six months, a year. Uh, It depends on the project and it depends on their needs specifically.
0: I want to talk a little bit about a link, a specific LinkedIn post you had um, a while back. But first, I'm curious, just for those who are interested in this path for themselves that you've taken where you're doing this consulting work, what led you to decide, hey, I want to step away from working for a company full time and help lots of companies at the same time?
1: Uh, That's an interesting question. It was a decision that took a lot of back and forth and a lot of reflection. Sometimes you get to a point in a full-time role where you feel you could be more effective with that one hour because all of the systems have already been put in place. All of the processes are working. People are trained, especially if you have a team. So that one hour that you're spending, let's say, a year before or six months before is nowhere near as impactful as it is at a specific moment. This happens sometimes, and I found myself in that place where everything was kind of there and working and running. And at the same time, I also feel that I could be kind of doing the same, laying the groundwork, foundation work uh, for many companies with the same amount of time. Yeah, in short, my impact I felt could be a lot bigger if I were doing that sort of work. And, and also coming in from an outside perspective, I think you have a much clearer uh, and less biased view of things and you're able to give very direct advice to usually the founder or the CEO, which you can still do in a in a full-time role. Uh, it takes a lot of trust and having a safe space to be able to actually share your thoughts and opinion on what's going on. But sometimes being able to take a step back and have sort of an outside inside perspective helps.
0: Do you find that you're taken more seriously in a role like this because they went out and sought you out and they're like, we know we have a problem, please help?
1: Yes, because when you're in a workplace for a few years, especially as an HR people person, it's easy to take you for granted, let's say, and your opinion for granted and just Sort of uh, put it aside. Whereas if you're coming in for a specific limited period of time and your opinion is thought to be like an expert opinion on on HR or people or whatever the specific thing you're brought in to tackle, you are taken more seriously just by nature of that uh, relationship and that engagement.
0: Since you're working with CEOs and founders, a lot of my audience also reports to or works very closely with them and struggle with not being taken seriously or not being given budget and told that they're not a profit center. Although I often say that you're the ultimate profit center because your job is to empower all the teams to have what they need to make sure they're engaged. So they stay. So what advice do you have after talking to a lot of CEOs and executives and founders who can sometimes have a fair amount of ego And they need that. That's what started the company in the first place. But what have you learned in this fractional role, running your own business to be taken seriously and to be more, I heard you say, you're able to be more direct. What advice do you have for someone who works with an executive and feels like they fall on deaf ears?
1: View the relationship with uh, the CEO or the founder as a partnership and one that needs a lot of managing upwards. And taking maybe a different approach to whatever you've been trying, um, because I find that especially if you're you're in a senior HR role, you might be wanting to please everyone and all stakeholders. But what I've learned is being direct and as clear as possible with your recommendations, and not beating around the bushes around issues and solutions is quite impactful. So. Yeah, it would be to just take a step back, reassess what approach have you been using so far and what can you integrate from sort of a consultant's perspective? Because I think that a very uh, deliverable, fact-based approach works well with with the role. Although obviously there's a lot of like nuance and uh, discussions and you're dealing with people at the end of the day, but I do think in terms of your recommendations, it's very important to be uh, clear, direct, data-driven.
0: I often recommend two books that some of my audience has heard me recommend like a hundred times. So bear with me to those of you who've heard me say this, but if this is new, Radical Candor by Kim Scott and Fierce Conversations, those are books all about the psychology of winning people over to your way of thinking without causing a huge blow up argument. Those books have frameworks to teach you how to talk about things in the terms that the CEO cares about. For example, with my kids, I can't say, hey, brush your teeth because I said so. Because they're like, no. But if I say, brush your teeth so you don't get cavities, because that means we're going to go to the dentist and they're going to put a shot in your mouth and it's not fun. They're like, oh, okay, I understand. So talking to a CEO or an executive in terms of productivity, revenue, turnover is expensive. We need money and budget to focus on new programs and tools so that our teams have what they need to have a better employee experience. So they're more likely to stay, which is better for our bottom line. So have you ever read any of these books or do you have any other recommendations of how you've learned to speak more directly?
1: Yeah, I think both, both of those books are great. Radical Candor is one that I've used the framework a lot in my past roles and trained people on it. They even have like a little mini course that you can take and it's a good one. In terms of being more direct, I think books are amazing and uh, so our podcast, And there's a lot of resources out there. But sometimes you just have to start and actually try to be more direct and say the thing that you're thinking, but you're afraid to say. I think theory is amazing, but about putting it into practice is the best way to improve and sharpen your skills, Uh, regardless of where you start. Even if you're someone that's super shy away from being direct, or if you're someone that's extremely directed, maybe even too blunt, start and gauge what your impact is and then adjust Adjust it accordingly, but always just do it, I would say.
0: Yeah, we learn by doing. Sometimes you just have to – you can't read all the frameworks and have all the practice. You just have to get your hands dirty and and probably make some mistakes, but that's that's exactly how you learn, even though it's uncomfortable. Growth is painful. That's what my grandfather always used to say. So what – What caught my attention and what I really wanted to talk to you about today is this really awesome LinkedIn post that you had. So I'm going to read like the opening part of it and we'll link out to your profile in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. But I'm going to read this first part and I just want to hear more about what you have to say about this. So you said about a month ago, in a small startup team, how do you make sure culture isn't an afterthought? This topic was the heart of our workshop at the recent Women in Tech event at DIFC Innovation Hub. There are plenty of ways to define your culture and proactively combat future people problems, even when you're just a team of two. So how do you do it? I saw this, I was like, yes, my my people need to hear what she has to say about this. So lay it on us, Zane.
1: In terms of this post, just for background, it was a bunch of founders that have uh, companies under 10 people, more mostly under five people. And a lot of what we were discussing and what came up very organically was that they didn't really think about their culture from early on. And they were thinking, once I'm at 20 people, 30 people, basically like once I'm bigger, i just having that thing that they're parking, I'll think about culture. And I think this is a big mistake that a lot of founders make when you're envisioning your company and your ideal company. It's really important to also visualize the kind of team and the kind of culture that you want to have. And there is no right or wrong answer to this. It has to just be unique and true to you and genuine to when you dream of the impact on your customers, what do you dream of in terms of the company that you're running and how people feel when they're at work, how people interact with each other, how how people view their work, how people feel valued, whatever it is, like, do you want it to be? a fun, energetic, light workspace? Do you want it to be fully remote? Do you want people to be working from Thailand and from Norway and from uh, Antarctica? Or do you want people to all be in a in a, an office and working closely together and collaborating and brainstorming? Uh, do you want it to be a sort of democratic company where different people as ideas are taken seriously? Or do you want it to be more like a very clear direction where people follow and are are inspired? Uh, What kind of leader do you want to be? I think these are all really, really, really important questions to think about early on, even if it just feels like a faraway dream. Because you start to behave in that way, and you start to your actions start to align with that potential future, even if it feels really far off. And I think it really sets the tone. When you make your first hire all the way to your 10th hire, to your 30th hire, that initial intention of what you want your culture to look like will always be there. And it'll maybe be changed when you hire a, senior HR person and a senior this and a senior that, but your uh, desires for what you want the team to look like will always be there. And it might even go against the HR person's view uh, or the future leaders that you hire's views. So I think if you can actually just be really intentional about it from the beginning and check in with yourself about what you want, it'll make the whole process so much smoother and better for everyone.
0: I know a lot of companies just, they do that one or two times and they're like, whatever, we just know we need to do that. Really baking that into how decisions are made and praising employees when things go right, you were living by this value when hard decisions need to be made, you know, we choose quality over speed. So we're going to say no to this project. Your employees start to know what to expect. And it's like a framework for people to know how they're going to be treated and how to know what their work day and month and year is going to be like at that company. So I think a lot of companies just foundationally don't have that piece, right? I've done a few episodes on values and and how to see if it resonates with your employees because your culture, I'm curious if you agree, your culture can and should change over time. As you scale, your values, you know, employees, if you survey them and say, do these values resonate with you still? You might find that there's one or two values that nobody's choosing and they're like, this doesn't mean anything to me. You don't have to have a set amount of values. It's not like 6 is the magic number. But really having a philosophy, that's what your mission, vision, and values are. This is who we are. It's the fabric of our company. And making sure that it still feels that way by asking employees and getting really good at surveys, you can't get a great culture on a hope and a prayer and just like wish for it to happen. You have to be, I think what you said is like very intentional. The HR leader really needs to go out and get answers from people and talk to the employees through surveys or through state interviews. Why do you love working here? What makes it hard to work here? Which of these values do or do not resonate with you? I think a lot of HR teams are like, we're worried about survey fatigue or we don't we don't want to interrupt everyone, or, you know, we're we're doing fine. It's like, well, how do you know if you don't ask? You have to be really intentional with your surveys and your employees will begin to see that you take them very seriously and you won't have survey fatigue. It doesn't exist if you're doing it right. So, um what advice do you have for someone who They're at an early startup. They're in an HR or people or culture role. And the CEO or the founder is kind of like in go mode. Like the work is a little bit more important than the people because they're trying to do what they care about, which is get the revenue. It's not that they don't care about the people, but the revenue is what keeps the company alive. So it makes sense. What advice do you have for someone in that HR role? That's like, Hey buddy, I need you, Mr. Or Ms. CEO to like, remember this is people first. Like What could they say or how could they get their CEO to come back down to the people level where they're supposed to be so the company scales and grows in a healthy way?
1: I think uh, in terms of being intentional... The mission, vision, values exercise can feel so much like just a task or something that you tick off when starting a company. Like one of the things that you just have to do, I have to do a competitive analysis, I have to do mission, vision, values. And I think it's really important for that not to be the case. And if thinking of mission, vision, values is overwhelming or confusing or feels too structured or rigid, I think what you said of it's a philosophy i would start there so this is just the general advice and the worst thing you can do is just create a like a mission vision values that just sound nice and then print them everywhere and and have them as like a reference point but that's not actually what you believe in and it's not actually relevant or or unique or authentic to you as a people team or as a founder or, or whatever the case So i think i would even reverse back from your question of that needs to be aligned. So if you're an HR person and you're coming into a team and and this is the case where there's like a mission, vision, values, that just doesn't really make sense. And it isn't really how people actually act and treat each other and clearly value and the behaviors that are rewarded and celebrated and the behaviors that aren't. If you're ever confused, just ask yourself what behaviors are very naturally rewarded and praised I would start by looking at those as an HR person and looking at what's written down or printed out on the wall or whatever the case and asking yourself, do they align or not? I think that's really important because more cases than not, they don't align. and um, This is something I've witnessed at so many startups. So I would I would start there. Surveys are amazing um, because you can get you can gauge on a macro let's say how people are feeling about different elements and you can make a business case out of it Um, but I always think it's important if you're a small team to complement surveys with uh, one-on-ones and having sort of like very open feedback interview sessions with team members where you can uh, maybe elaborate on the things that they answer in surveys that's another one and and making a business case for it, I think, with all of the research that's out there today on how much uh, employee satisfaction and morale impacts performance, and then how much performance impacts the company's performance, it's, yeah. it's there's such a direct, clear link that you just have to make a business case,
0: right? And you can use ChatGPT for that. If you want to say, hey, ChatGPT, help me make a business case for this thing I'm trying to do in terms that a CEO would care about. It'll say, okay, and it's still you, but it's probably going to include things that you wouldn't have thought of. And it's going to be a very solid proposal, you know, like using AI to go faster in these ways when you're a small team is a great way to save brain space and time.
1: Definitely. I think using ChatGPT to supercharge your work and get things done faster while always checking it uh, to make sure that it is aligned with what you actually want to say and what you mean to say because it does make mistakes sometimes. Uh, but I think it's an amazing tool, and I think more HR leaders should be utilizing it and not fearing it. I definitely encourage my team to utilize it. But yeah, you can do you do that. and then you pair that with the data that comes out of the surveys plus the soft sense that you get by doing these interviews with people and the deeper conversations where so much can come out. And I would say uh, have it kind of structured, but a loose structure where you can uh, navigate in different directions. A lot comes out of that. So then that adds a lot more color to the survey and to the business case. Uh, you can go very far with with those three things, I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. To someone though who is in An HR role, they're on a small team, they feel culture is not really solidified, but the company is moving forward. And they feel like the CEO founder is really not paying attention. What could they say to the CEO or founder to just get them to remember that the people are the reason the business is gonna stay alive too? Like we have to focus on the people. How do you get the CEO to think about culture if they're not?
1: Sometimes it's doing the work for them and the work that's needed to shift things in the culture and embedded across the, the organization. Um, sometimes it's really just understanding the founder and what drove them to wanting to build this business and what they envisioned for the team and, and tying it back to that. So each founder has a very unique vision that they had for what they wanted the company to look like and reminding them that the direction that we're headed, it might feel good and positive now, but eventually this will lead to like a high turnover, which will lead to higher costs. And answering the question of what is the cost if we don't tackle this now, the monetary risk, but also the hit that people will take, the culture will take, which will impact the performance faster than you think. I think answering that question uh, with the founder, and tying it to their why of the, the people team and what they envisioned bringing those together would, would be quite uh, impactful. But it's very case by case. I think every founder is very unique.
0: Yes.
1: But if they're very driven by the bottom line and the business and the business continuity, it's so important to tie it to what will happen if we don't address this now.
0: And sometimes it's even telling them, hey, that's why you hired me. I will handle this. You need to give me permission to, you know, do surveys whenever I see fit. Um, I don't need to run them past you because if you get, keep the surveys, then I can't do my job if I'm not getting data. So sometimes it's even managing up in that you're like, "Don't worry about it. I'm taking care of it." But I'm telling you what I'm doing for the sake of like, I got this. But I, and I'm going to tell you what to say and do at all hands so that you come across people first. If it's not natural, I will slowly help you come across in a certain way, like, I will help guide you. You're like the neck that turns the head. A head can't sit if it doesn't have a neck. It's just going to fall off. So it's it's a really crucial role that sometimes is a thankless job in HR. It's not o- often seen how much influence you do have and how much you have to work on on your, on your plate. But sometimes it's like you can't force the CEO to care as much as you do. You can get them to get it and also give you permission to run with your own initiatives and just kind of get out of your way. <laughs>
1: Definitely. I completely agree. I think it's a very essential relationship between the founder and uh, the HR leader. And you need to find a cadence that works. And a lot of the time it's being proactive and doing most of the work for them and reassuring them that I have your back. I will help you not just look good, but thrive and I'll help the team and the company thrive as well. You just have to trust me. And yeah, just figuring that relationship out.
0: Sometimes saying like, what would it look like for you to trust me with this? You know, and have them say, I just want to see the numbers. Like, okay, great. Sure. What would it look like for X, Y, Z to be happening is a great way to let the person tell you in their own words. So you don't accidentally sign yourself up for spreadsheets just because you said spreadsheets and they're like, sure, spreadsheets, then you're just creating more work for yourself. So Zane, this was really helpful for anyone who's thinking about going this path of, of going the fractional route, but also just to hear from someone who has as much experience as you how to handle founders who are a little bit of help getting the the culture back on track or figured out in the first place. Um, And if anyone wants to get a hold of you on LinkedIn and just say hi and say they listened to the episode, or maybe someone's got a question here or there, just want to reach out to someone like you with experience like this, um, we'll put your LinkedIn in the show notes. And thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing some of your stories with us.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks so much for coming on. Take care.